Uh, good morning, everyone. Um, my name is Janet. Um, I am one of the ministry interns here at Cornerstone. I've been an intern for, I think this is going on my third year, something like that. Um, I mainly serve in college ministry, but today I am also delivering God's word to all of us this morning. So today is uh, the fifth week of our sermon series through the book of Romans. So we've covered actually quite a bit of ground in, in the book over the past couple of weeks. And if you've been able to join us, we've just hit the good stuff. Right, we talked about our sin problem. And now, last week, for those of you who are here, we talked about how we are dead to sin and alive in Christ. And what a glorious message that was. We're finally kind of moving, moving from the, the sinner needs to be saved and we're starting to talk about what it means to be made new, made alive in Christ. And our passage for today comes from the very next chapter, chapter 7. And Paul talks a lot about the law and about sin. So the law refers, obviously, to God's law, which is, a set of God's standards and rules for his people, simply put. And if you recall, um, we didn't spend too much time kind of digging into, into it, but if you recall, Paul has been saying throughout his letter that under the law, we are condemned as sinners and therefore cannot stand before God. He says things like, under the law, we are dead in our sins. But, in, but last week, we just talked about how we are made new and that we are no longer living under the law, but we are under grace. So how does this fit into that understanding? How does the law and sin, how does this relate to our new identity in Christ? And that's sort of what we'll be talking about this morning. So our passage today comes from Romans 7, verses 7 to 25. It's really long, so if you have your Bibles, you can follow along, or you can just follow along as I read up on the screen. What then shall we say, that the law is sin? By no means. Yet if it had not been for the law, I would not have known sin. For I would not have known what it is to covet if the law had not said, you shall not covet. But sin, seizing an opportunity through the commandment, produced in me all kinds of covetousness. For apart from the law, sin lies dead. I was once alive apart from the law, but when the commandment came, sin came alive and I died. The very commandment that promised life proved to be death to me. For sin, seizing an opportunity through the commandment, deceived me, and through it, killed me. So the law is holy, and the commandment is holy and righteous and good. Did that which is good, then, bring death to me? By no means. It was sin producing death in me through what is good, in order that sin might be shown to be sin, and through the commandment, might become sinful beyond measure. For we know that the law is spiritual, but I am of the flesh, sold under sin. For I do not understand my own actions, 
For I do not do what I want, but I do the very thing I hate. Now if I do what I do not want, I agree with the law that it is good. So now it is no longer I who do it, but sin that dwells within me. For I know that nothing good dwells in me that is in my flesh. For I have the desire to do what is right, but not the ability to carry it out. For I do not do the good I want, but the evil I do not want is what I keep on doing. Now if I do what I do not want, it is no longer I who do it, but sin that dwells within me. So I find it to be a law that when I want to do right, evil lies close at hand. For I delight in the law of God in my inner being, but I see in my members another law waging war against the law of my mind and making me captive to the law of sin that dwells in my members. Wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body of death? Thanks be to God through Jesus Christ our Lord. So then I myself serve the law of God with my mind, but with my flesh I serve the law of sin. This is the word of God. Let's pray. Uh, Father God, God, we come before your word. We come before your presence, God, and we, we ask for humility. We ask, God, that you would move in our hearts. God, that you would allow us to hear your word, to allow it to sink deeply into our hearts, that we may be transformed by it, that we may learn to live by your word. And so we thank you, God, for, for allowing us, Lord, to, to gather in this way. Lord God, would all of our hearts be wholly devoted to you this morning. And may you receive all the glory and all the praise. In your name we pray. So I think everybody here is familiar with bad habits. We all have them. Many of us have multiple. Some people are nail biters. Some people maybe struggle with procrastination. Maybe you're an overeater. Maybe you binge watch TV until the sun comes up. I've done that many times. And the question is, we're labeling all of these things as bad habits. But how did you know it was a bad habit? And if you do know that it is a bad habit, why do you continue to do it? And this is sort of the concept that Paul is getting at in this part <laughs> of his letter. Um, and so although we have this newness of life in Christ, we still struggle with sin, don't we? We still struggle with sin. And at the same time, for those of you who have been in the church long enough, we are also still called to live by the law. 
And so this kind of sets us up for where we're at in our, in our sermon today, in our series this week. And Paul has to sort of answer these questions from the Romans, and today we're going to kind of reframe them a little bit to kind of match maybe where we're at. And so the very first point that Paul makes in his letter, in this portion of the letter, is that the law is absolutely good. His basic argument is this. He, if you read through verses 7 through 11, you'll kind of, you'll see all of Paul's, his logic and his reasoning and everything. But if I were to summarize it for all of us this morning, it would be this. The law is good because it gives us knowledge of sin. This knowledge lays out what sin is, what it looks like. So now, that, so now we are able to recognize sin in ourselves, in others. We can, we can desire to do God's will because now we know what sin is. And we can even choose to carry out that desire. For example, uh, today, in many companies, they have an equal employment opportunity policy. That's something just across the board. Most companies, if not all, have this policy in place. And this policy is put in place to prevent any unjust prejudice or discrimination as it comes to the hiring process for the company. And I think all of us here would agree that that's a, that's a good rule. It's protecting, protecting people and it's giving, providing a way for there to be justice in the workplace. However, before this policy was put into place, it's not like this problem wasn't occurring, right? What this policy has done is now it has given the company and all of us an understanding and a rule, a standard by which to talk about it. So now, what's unjust about that process has become unjust. People may have been feeling things about it before, but now there are actual words. Now there's an actual rule. And that doesn't mean that the policy is bad, right? It's not as if that that rule has now all of a sudden created all these problems. And that's sort of the kind of knowledge that the law of God gives us about sin. It's not that... The, God gave us a law, and now all, all of a sudden it's like, oh my gosh, there's so much sin everywhere. It's just that there was sin, and he's like, this is what it looks like. And in order for you to follow me and have the fullness of life with me, you have to abstain from sin. Another part of Paul's argument is that people were starting to wonder in um, in his day, if the law was then producing all, all kinds of sin. Maybe it's giving them the idea that they can break this law. So if we go back to our example of 
the equal employment opportunity. So these, this policy is in place, let's say this policy is in place at a company, and the hiring committee or the employer or whoever is in charge, they still decide to hire someone based on prejudice and discrimination. Did the policy cause them to do that? The answer is no. That is something that was in that person, in those people, to make that decision. And it wasn't the policy that caused them to do it. And so in this way, Paul, Paul constructed his argument to say, the law is good. It's holy. The commandments in it are holy. They're righteous. They're good. And how does this matter for us today? Because the law was given, if you remember, to the Israelites, right, in the Old Testament times. The Israelites were God's chosen people. They were chosen by grace, by the grace of God, and they understood that truth very deeply. And when God gave them this law, it wasn't to restrict them or to prevent them from behaving badly. But it was to teach them what it meant and how to live as God's people. It was meant, that, it was meant to bring them towards God who would give them life and away from sin. The law of God was meant for good. And if we fast forward to today, maybe we feel like, but that's irrelevant. We live under grace. The law is no longer relevant to us. We are not the Israelites. But I think if we consider those statements, consider the situation of the Israelites, and consider our own, we'll realize that it's not that different. Because in Christ, we have become members of God's family. We are in his kingdom. We are God's chosen people, and we are chosen by grace. A truth that I hope many of us understand today. And our stories don't end there. After, it's not like we say, okay, I've accepted Christ as my Lord and Savior, and ever since, I have lived a perfectly obedient life, and that's it. Just as the Israelites were called to then live out God's law, which is good, and has proven time again and again to give them, to give us life, as people who love the Lord, we are then called to live out this law. And I don't know about you, but there has never been a time where I have chosen to live by God's law and ever, ever regretted it. There's never been a time where I said, okay, I don't want to do the thing that God wants me to do, but I'm going to do it. And I've never been, I've never been disappointed. On the flip side, 
every time that I have given into sin, it's just like a bottomless pit. The sin in our lives will promise something, something better. It's easier. But when you sin, doesn't it feel like, don't you just feel like crap? You feel so disappointed in yourself. You feel so, you feel empty. Emptier inside than you did before. And so we cannot disregard the law. We cannot, we cannot just, it's not like we like rip out the Old Testament and we throw it away. That's not how our faith works today. The law is as good as it was when God first gave it. There is no, there's no thing in there that needs to change, nor will it change. The book of the Bible, with all the law, contains life for us. And if you remember back to Romans 1, we talked about how we are to live by God's word. We are to look to it for God's wisdom. And in that, we will find life. And so we cannot, we cannot throw that away. And we cannot forget that the law is absolutely good. And now the law, in its goodness, reveals sin's identity to its full. Paul writes in verse 13, it was sin producing death in me through what is good in order that sin might be shown to be sin and through the commandment might become sinful beyond measure. Because sin is utterly sinful. The translation in our text says sinful beyond measure, but if you look at the NIV translation, it says sin is utterly sinful. And so what does that mean? I was kind of hinting at it a little bit earlier when I was talking about sin. But sin will always, always try to deceive us. If you remember back to Genesis 3, the serpent says to Eve, if you eat this fruit, you will surely not die. God told them, don't eat the fruit, you're going to die. And the serpent came and said, you will not. You will not surely die. And that's exactly what the sin in all of our flesh, that's exactly what it's doing. Every moment that you, at every corner, at every turn, that's what sin is saying to you. And maybe in the most maybe famous part of this passage is Paul's whole internal struggle with sin. He's saying, I want to do this good thing, but I can't do it. Everything I don't want to do, I keep doing it. And it's just a cycle that goes on and on. And eventually he's, he's just in despair. He's describing a person who is in intense inner turmoil an intense struggle with the law. And I'm willing to bet 
that most, if not every single person in this room, you have struggled with this feeling. You have experienced this very experience. Maybe today, maybe yesterday. Maybe you've been holding on to bitterness towards a friend or a family member, even though you know God's law says to forgive. And you keep trying, but it's, you can't seem to forgive this person. Maybe your drinking gets out of hand more times than you'd like to admit. Even though you know God's law says be sober-minded, And you keep telling yourself, this time won't be like the last. Maybe you're struggling with lust. Maybe you, are, you have an intense anxiety about who has access to your computer. Even though, and you keep doing this thing that you know that God's law says to be Pure in your heart, be pure of heart. You know God's law says to uphold the dignity of every living person. And yet you just you can't seem to stop doing. And maybe it's not one of those examples, but there's maybe others, and maybe more than one. And if we're to, these are very specific sins, but if we're to talk about just sin as a larger, a broader category, that's something we struggle with every day. It's not just the one that maybe stands out to you as the one that happens all the time, but it's every and any sin. And as I, was re- as I was reading this passage, I've read it many times before, but I, I think I saw something a little different in it this time around. Because I realized that everybody can relate to Paul's description of this inner turmoil. Every person can relate. And I don't know if it's because of what I'm studying or my background or whatever it may be, but I realized that it also sounds an awful lot like addiction. And maybe in your head, you're like rejecting that so hard right now. Like, no, 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 no. I am not addicted to anything. But when we talk about addiction and counseling, and when we see and we work with people who are struggling with addiction, the, like the basic premise of what they're struggling with is there's this habit that they have that they know is bad, that they know is harmful to them, but they still, they find themselves time and time again getting into that habit. They desperately want to be free from it, but they, but they can't. And that's kind of what you work with in addictions counseling. And I realized that this is very similar to our struggle with sin. Because if we believe that the law is good, 
And the law says, if you sin, that will lead to death. And yet we still continue to choose sin, and we still allow ourselves to be enslaved to it, isn't that just like an addict? And Paul is saying in his, in his letter here, he's reminding the Roman Christians, this is the state we are in apart from God. Without Christ, there is no end to the cycle. But, but here the good news of Jesus Christ. And what Paul is getting at by kind of bringing all of this law and sin and all of this into bringing it to our attention, essentially he wants to encourage us with this. In Christ, we are completely victorious over our struggles with sin. That cycle of struggle that we read in Romans 7, maybe it feels like it's the same, whether you've accepted Christ or not. But the truth is, it is not the same. And it is not the same, not because you or I could ever do anything to get us out of that cycle. It is solely because of Jesus Christ. It is solely because we have a new identity in Jesus Christ that gives us victory over our sin. And just like we were talking about even just last week, we're so used to saying, like, I'm a sinner, I'm a sinner, I'm a sinner. And while, yes, that was true, in our newness of life, that is no longer the case. During my program, I got a chance to, I took a class on, um, in addictions counseling. And one of our assignments was to go to a 12-step AA meeting. And I had, as I do, left it to the very last moment. And so I had to go to one. And I was like, I found one. I was like, oh, it's close enough. Like, it's, there, are, there are open groups and there are closed groups. So you have to choose an open group. And I was like, okay, perfect. There's an open group. I can make it to the time. I can make it to the place. I'll go and I'll observe. And... This is just a total aside, but it turned out to be a closed group, which I was not allowed to be there, but I had to do it for my assignment, so I stayed. But um, <laughs> something that I'm sure we're all familiar with, you don't have to go to an AA meeting to have this knowledge, but when people go around and share, they say, hi, my name is so-and-so, I'm an alcoholic. Every single person goes around and says that. And they go through the book, the 12-step book that is kind of, bringing them through this process of healing and process of recovery. But the biggest battle for an addict is recognizing that he or she is one. If they do not think that they are, then going to an AA group is completely pointless. 
They will not, they will not, they will not change, they will, they will not accept any, anything that the group has to offer them. They won't accept the support because they don't have a problem. They won't try to make amends with people that they've, who, with whom they've just completely destroyed their relationships because they don't have a problem. And this is why in, the, in scripture and in the word, we see so often, hey, don't forget that you, without Christ, you are a sinner. It's because we'll always forget. We'll always forget. We'll always say, no, 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 no. I'm saved and I'm fine. I'm doing so much better. These things don't affect me anymore. And that's just, it's just a lie. And in our newness of life in Christ, what that means is that though we struggle with maybe the very same struggles you had before you met Christ, that there is guaranteed victory. There is guaranteed victory. And we have to really, with every part of our being, with every part of who we are, we have to cling to that truth. And we have to cling to it daily. There is research that shows um, kind of what it looks like for a person who wants to quit a negative behavior or maintain a positive behavior. There's this shows you where, like, how the pros and cons affect, your understanding of the pros and cons of that decision, how it affects your, how it affects the process of change. And what was interesting was that in order to, let's say, stop smoking, the pros have to be strong in the beginning so that you know that you, you, you have this goal that you really want to stop the negative behavior, and then it levels off, and then it once you've hit the stage of, okay, I don't need this anymore in my life, the pros drop off. You don't really need them to maintain or to, to continue to stop. You don't need the pros anymore. But on the flip side, if you want to maintain a healthy behavior, let's say uh, exercising, the pros go up at the beginning because you need that motivation to get to that place where you're going to do that behavior and you're going to exercise, you're going to have a plan, you're going to have all of that, you're going to keep it, and the pros actually have to stay. They plateau and they stay high. Even though maybe now you're regularly going. You're regularly going to the gym and you've made that change of behavior, but research has shown that you actually need to continue to hold on to the pros for making that decision. And what that tells us is that we need to make daily decisions to maintain healthy habits. Every day is a choice to say, I'm going to exercise. I'm going to exercise today. I'm going to exercise in two days. I'm going to exercise. And you have to keep holding on to those pros to maintain this behavior. 
And I really think, I really believe that that's what we need to do for our spiritual lives as well. Every day, we need to hold on to the truth of who we are. Every day, we need to hold on to our identity in Christ, completely free from the condemnation of the law, free from sin, free to love the Lord and serve him with all of our hearts. We need to cling to that truth every single day. And for those of you who have been walking with the Lord for any amount of time, I'm sure you can testify that that's true. You know, I think it's really really easy to, to talk about all these truths and for it still not to make sense, for it to still not to sink in. So I will close with a story. So something that I have come to realize over the past couple of years is that I've had a history of abuse in my life. I have experienced this took me really up until I came into seminary to really fully admit that this is what it was, to label it for what it was, but as a young child, I was, I experienced a lot of emotional abuse and some physical abuse as well. And throughout my life, I, I really denied it. I, well, one, I never shared anything about it to anybody. But when I started sharing about it, people were like, hey, like, that's, that's really, that sounds really like abuse. I was like, no, 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 it's, but it's, it's fine. Like, this is just how life was. This is what I understood to be life, and it's fine. And then come a few years after that, I realized, oh, now, because I'm in a counseling program, so we talk about this all the time. We define it all the time. I'm like, oh, I see. For the first time, I, there were words for what I had experienced. And, wow, it wrecked me. I, yeah, I like, I just couldn't, I couldn't keep it together. I was just a mess. And as soon as I found out, as soon as I was like, okay, like, this is, this is the word, these are the words for it, I'm a counseling student. I knew I need, I need to get to a counselor. Because even if I don't really understand what's going on or how it affects me or whatever, I know that it does. Because that's what I learned in school. I'm like, okay, I need to see somebody, I need to see somebody, I need to see somebody. 
I never did. And fast forward to now, there's not that much fast forwarding, but still fast forward to now. Um, I, I see it. It affects everything. The sin and the darkness of that experience, of those experiences, I guess I should say, it completely affects everything around me. Especially when it comes to people. Especially when it comes to relationships. And I see, I just see it, I see it everywhere. I see it all the time. I can feel it in my reactions. When something happens, my whole body tenses up. And I, and I, just, I just feel so tense and I can't, I can't break free from it. And even though in my head I'm like, I know that this person is not the same as those people in my life, it still, it still feels the same. It still feels the same to me. So in my head I'm like, okay, like I know it's not, and that's, but it's still my reaction. And so now that it affects me so, it's like manifesting everywhere, all over the place. Like, okay, I need to go see a counselor now. And the truth is, I really, really want to. I really, really want to because I know it's going to be good. I've, I'm literally starting to be that. I know that that's part of what counseling helps with. And I really want to do it so that I, I can live a whole-er life. Right? This, this darkness in my life, it just casts such a dark shadow over my life. But still, I, it's really not a priority. I still am kind of pushing it aside. Like this whole week, I was like, I have to sermon prep. So I'm going to sermon prep. And I'm not going to worry about that because that problem's going to be there after I, after I give my sermon. So there's always a reason. There's always a reason for me not to do it, even though I know it's good. And I got to say, Darkness is so powerful. I think we underestimate its power so often. But I think my own struggle with, with it has also reminded me how much I underestimate the power of Christ. And I know not every single person struggles with the same thing or have had things like this happen to them, but some of us did. And there are other sins that plague you and that continue to say, no, it's fine, keep it in the dark, it's fine. But our God is much bigger than that. And your new identity is much, much stronger than that. There is actually nothing. There's, there's actually nothing that gets in the way of you and our God because of Christ.
And I really hope that that encourages you this morning. That though we still struggle with sin, though darkness always, always will try to overtake you, that you are made new in Christ and that sin has no, no dominion over you anymore. And today, we also are going to have communion. Where we can be reminded of what Christ has done and the freedom that comes with with accepting this gift of life. Let's pray. Father God, we Father God, many of us in this room know that God, you are light. That God, your word, your truth, your presence, your you are life to us. We know it, our souls know it. God, everything in our being sometimes cries out for you. But our struggles in our flesh, in our old selves, our old habits, God, they still plague us. And God, wow, before before there was Christ, there was no hope for us. We read your word. God, we read the scripture today rejoicing in the fact that that Christ came. And God, I pray for every person in this room to receive that truth. I pray for every person in this room that they would remember the love of their Heavenly Father that freed them from slavery to sin. I pray, Father, that this word, that your word, would continue to minister to us, not just this week, not just today, but every day until we see you face to face. God, we love you. God, help us to keep loving you, to keep following you. In your name we pray.